and welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Super regional time is here. The Bulldogs sweeping through the Starkville Regional last week with wins over Samford, VCU, then Campbell, and now turn their attention to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. And, Charlie, so far this week we've had fun. You had a chance to sit down with Paul O'Toole. We'll talk about some of these interviews later, but we talked to Steve Stanley, the former center fielder for Notre Dame. We're going to talk on this show with Travis Chapman, who was the third baseman for Mississippi State in 2000. Of course, you know, Travis played in 97 in that big regional here, that six-team regional when we won against Washington, and then he was here through 2000 and that went over Notre Dame in the 2000 regional. So busy show for you today. We're going to look back at that 2000 regional just a tad. Charlie, first and foremost, hey, it's been a fun week. It's been a busy week. And, hey, doing these interviews has been just outstanding. I've always been interested in what the visitors think about Mississippi State. It's easy to get caught up in some Twitter poll about who has the best environment or the best stadium or all that other nonsense that seems to dominate social media. And it's easy for a fan base to say, we like our place. It's really cool when you go back and you talk to guys, and we've done it at least three times now in the past two weeks. We had Chris Magruder who said, coming to Mississippi State, even in a loss, was one of his greatest baseball memories, the so, greatest baseball memory. Said it changed his life. You know, Ken Knutson, the coach, I said three, there's been four. The coach ranked it equivalent to p- winning the Pac-12. And now this week, Steve Stanley, Paul O'Toole, one of those guys, the villain of that 2000 regional O'Toole was, both of them saying it's their greatest experience, one of their great memories, and talking just in glowing terms about playing here And all four of those people have something in common. They didn't leave winners. And if you can go into a place and you can take everything the crowd gives you and you leave and say, that was a special event in my life, that's pretty cool. Now, looking last night at social media, Campbell sent out a tweet, said, hey, good luck this weekend and about the experiences they had. And you look at VCU, and that's what was great, Charlie, last weekend is I had a chance to, to be in the outfield a good bit and see a, a number of visiting fans walking through and the hospitality that's extended to them from our fan base. It makes you really proud. But I think everyone last weekend had a pretty good experience as well. And so let's look back at last weekend. I thought at the end of the day, State did what they had to do. And I'm, I'm not taking anything away from the tournament. And you hear this all the time. You, you hear coaches who get in th- these waves of where they're performing at the highest level and year in and year out they're the top team in the country where it's almost like you hate to say it, it's not fun because if you win, you're expected to win. If you lose, it's just it's the fear of losing the more that drives you than anything. And not to say there wasn't a ton of excitement last weekend, but getting through that point, if you're a Mississippi State fan, and even as tough as it was to play in a regional, it was somewhat expected. It was. And I think this weekend, though, different challenge. Oh, right? completely different ball game this weekend. Re- Super regionals are completely different. This is big-time baseball this weekend. I pulled up Warren Nolan's RPI earlier today. Number five, Mississippi State. Number six, Notre Dame. It really doesn't get better. No, he really doesn't. I thought we got good pitching performances out of Will Bednar. McLeod settled in. Both those guys had to fight through some adversity a little bit. We were able to get through the 
game three on Monday. Houston Harding was exceptional in that game. So looking back at last weekend going into this weekend, it seems like we've got some guys at the bottom of the order that are hitting the ball well. This team may be playing its best baseball or may have played some of its best baseball last weekend. I think one of the reasons for optimism is Kellum Clark. He has really put a pop into the bottom part of the Mississippi State lineup where I think earlier in the season you were just trying to get through it. You are just trying to turn the order over. But now you've got a guy with a legitimate chance to run one out. Brad Compass had a good weekend. I mean, he's shown you the ability to hit the baseball and hit it out. And look, at the very least, when you get to the bottom of the lineup, what you want is even if you've got guys that aren't going to hit for a big average or something else, do something. Can you walk your way on base? Can you have the fear of that pitcher? Can you put the fear in him? So he's got to worry about keeping one off the middle of the plate to you because you can run one out. I just think it's so important. How many times do you see pitchers maybe have to work their way through a couple of guys, and then they really get into a groove in the bottom part of the order. And by the time it turns back around again, if they've set down five or six in a row, they're feeling it. It's just important to have somebody to break it up. And I thought Kellen Clark, Brad Cumbus have been doing that. And going from our standpoint as well, you know, you may have had a little bit of a rocky start there by McLeod early. He had the, the three walks in, or the two walks in a row and loaded the bases. But what did you used to say about the Tom Glavins, the John Smoltz, and the guys of that, of that world, that Braves era, and the really good pitchers? If you're going to get them, you get them early. Because like you just said, the good pitchers settle in. The good pitchers figure out what's working and what's not working, what the strike zone is, how many balls outside am I going to get that strike call, and then they figure it out. I thought we had some guys figure it out kind of in mid-flight last week. I think that's where I think that's where McLeod and Bednar have gotten better as the season has gone on. And, I'm hey, I'm discrediting everything about the SEC tournament. That tournament did not happen to me. But it seems like those guys have kind of figured out a way to – fight through some adversity, and then settle in. And that's what you're going to have to have this weekend. You're going to have to have good starts from Christian McLeod and Will Bednar. The key to pitching at a very high level, particularly on a staff right now that is so deep in talent, what is it that distinguishes you from being a guy to being the guy is the ability to make an adjustment quickly and to figure out on this day which of my pitches is working, which of the locations am I getting calls at, And I thought we saw that from both those guys. We saw them make adjustments. I don't believe it's realistic to think we're going to go into this weekend and have Bednar or McLeod, either one. You hope it happens. I don't think it's reasonable to expect either one of them to go out there and throw seven shutout innings. This time of year, in this new stadium, the ball's going to carry, and you're going to be playing a team that can run it out of there. So what is the key? Don't walk, guys. Do like you did last weekend, which is if you're going to give up a home run, at least make it a solo shot, and then be able to adjust. Be able to adjust on the fly once you've had some adversity. We did that last weekend. You talked about Notre Dame. This is a hot team coming in. They scored in double digits in all their wins last week in South Bend. They won 10 to nothing over Central Michigan. They beat UConn 26-3, and then Central Michigan in the championship game 14-2. But you look back at their regular season stats, they won a lot of – five to four games, five to three games. They won some close games, and they went 25 and 10 in the ACC. And, Charlie, before we talk about Notre Dame, let's pause and remind you, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team at Farm Bureau. They have agents in every county in the state, and 
they're the guys that you know. They're the guys that you, you see at the gas station when you're pumping gas and they're talking about the Bulldogs. I mean, the, the service that they have is absolutely what sets them apart. And so check them out at favorites.com and go with the home team at Farm Bureau. And just looking at the schedule for Notre Dame and talking about last week and going 25-10 and 10 in the ACC, the ACC was not as deep this year as it has been in years past. They had pretty much caught up. They had gotten close to catching up with the SEC a couple of years ago. They had some really good teams, but they only had one host this year, and that was Notre Dame. And they played primarily a conference schedule, but looking at it, they played 12 ACC conference weekends. They went 10-1-1, did Notre Dame, in those weekends. They lost two out of three against Florida State. They split with Louisville, had the third game washed out. State went 7-3 and three in conference weekends. And so, first and foremost, from a macro standpoint, you have to look at how teams did in weekend three-game series. State was 7-3. and three. We had the losses to Vanderbilt, the loss to Arkansas, and then the slip-up against Missouri. Notre Dame played well in this sequence as well. So both teams have played well in conference weekend so far this year. For all the talk about the ACC being down, and they clearly are, what is interesting is if you go and you look at RPI for Notre Dame and you look at how their schedule set up, they were 17-6 and six against Quadrant 1 opponents. They were 11-4 and four against Quad 2 opponents. And so it's really tough because they didn't beat anybody that's a host team. Uh, I guess it's almost like they got a lot of wins between 26 and 50. Yes. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's almost like we've got some really good wins. And this is not a knock at, at, at Notre Dame at all because they won the games they were supposed to win. But Duke has the other high RPI in the ACC. And what's Duke's RPI number right 20. now? They're number 20 right now. We just don't know. I think that's what I would say. That's the it's unknown. It's not like football where you can look and say – boy, they haven't played anybody, they're really not that good because it's easier in football to look out there and have an eye test on somebody. There aren't many people sitting here who've got an eye test on Notre Dame right now other than whatever glimpses they took from that regional last weekend. And if that's the measuring stick, who? Well, and, and two, are we having the same conversation that the NCAA Baseball Committee had two weeks ago right now? We're trying to figure out how good Notre Dame is because typically with – that schedule with the ACC blowing through, going 25-10, and 10, would merit you a national seed. But I think there's so many unknowns about the opponents that you just don't know. You just don't know. So looking at this team, pitching-wise, they're built on a lot of left-handed pitchers. So you kind of wonder what that does to your lineup. It probably puts Cumbest out in left field again. And Kellum Clark has hit left-handers well as well down at the bottom of the order. So you kind of feel like your lineup is what it is right now. And probably for the first time this year, starting Cameron James at third base and starting Cumbest in left field, you kind of know what you got going into a weekend, don't you? Yeah, for the first time. For the first time, even coming out of the SEC tournament, we were saying we still got holes, we still got question marks. I think we are what we are at this point. So on the show today – when we come back, we'll talk to Travis Chapman. Travis Chapman, of course, played at Mississippi State 1997 to the year 2000. He works with the New York Yankees right now in their minor league system. And so uh, it'll be great to talk to Travis. I haven't talked to him in a while. I mean, he was 
hey, he was one of the all-time greats. He played here for four years. He's in the top five of, the, of all-time hits at Mississippi State. Played at second, short, and third over his time here. And so can't wait to talk to Travis Chapman. And then we'll look back at a couple of those interviews we did earlier in the week. And then we'll get you set for Mississippi State and Notre Dame. It starts on Saturday at 1 o'clock. Game two on Sunday at 5. And if we have to play game three, we'll play at 6 on Monday night. So it's super regional time in Starkville. And once again, this is Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. It's time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can find anywhere. And it's produced right here in the state of Mississippi in Itabina. If you're looking to fry it or if you're dieting like me, you can grill it, but you can buy it from most local grocery stores. Just look for the black and blue label that screams Heartland, But the great thing about Heartland is you can also find it at great restaurants throughout the South. And today we feature a restaurant, and it's got to be in the top 1% of restaurants worldwide. It's the Crystal Grill in Greenwood. You just can't beat the Crystal Grill, and Jen and I load up with friends all the time to make that short drive over to the West. I know you want to make room for the chocolate or coconut pie, but the appetizer for that has to be the fried catfish. You can also get it black and broiled or lemon peppered, but you know they do it right at the Crystal Grill in Greenwood. And once again, this conversation brought to you by Heartland Catfish. And so let's go to the phones where Travis Chabin, former Bulldog 1997 to 2000, joins us. And Travis, now with the New York Yankees organization. How you doing, Travis? Uh, I've been doing great. Uh, been doing well. Been working with the Yankees now for nine years, and it's pretty exciting seeing the old Notre Dame coming back into Starkville uh, for the regional time. You know, Charlie talked to Apollo Tool yesterday, or day before yesterday. We talked to Steve Stanley yesterday. A couple of guys that played at Notre Dame. We've talked to a lot of your former teammates, and you know, just looking back at your career. Last week on our show, we talked to Chris Magruder, the center fielder for Washington. And then Ken Knutson, who was the head coach at Washington, you were a part of the 97 regional six teams, and then you go to the four-team regionals in you know, 99 and then 2000. But first, before we get to talking about that, how did you – do you remember your recruiting story about how you ended up at Mississippi State? That was the tail end of Ron Polk and Pat McMahon was here as an assistant coach. How did Travis Chapman end up in Starkville? Well, I grew up here in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, ended up going to Bishop Kenny High School. Uh, which we had a uh, a pipeline that I was not aware of uh, prior to going there. Uh, headed out to Mississippi State. I think it was 31 straight years with a guy from Mississippi uh, from Bishop Kenny that went out to Mississippi State. And um, so my freshman year, I see this Mississippi State stuff, and uh, and then going sophomore junior year, uh, Tommy Raffo's brother. I was actually on uh, the same graduating class in high school with him, and. Uh, you know, we all went out there on a uh, to go to a camp. I think there was four of us uh, from our team Florida team, and um, it was my junior year, and we had a great time out there. It was good campus and everything, and then uh, I was fortunate enough to get an offer uh, during the early signing period uh, to to go out and play at Mississippi State, and uh, ended up accepting the offer and turning down a couple other schools, and uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. 
Didn't Drew Williams go to Bishop Kenny? Was he right before you? Yeah, Drew Williams is there. Brian Terry, Tommy Raffo. There's there's a bunch of Pat McMahon went there, and uh, you know one of uh, our, our high school coach Bob West. He was actually a graduate assistant out of Mississippi State, and he was a head coach. And uh, actually, they just named the stadium after him there at Bishop Kenny. And uh, he was my head coach there for four years, and uh, he had his to Mississippi State as a graduate assistant many years ago. Well, Pat McMahon, a guy that you get to work with, that you played for, he was a big Bishop Kenny guy. I know his brother was also. So tell us, uh, Pat McMahon working with the Yankees, do you get to keep up with him much? I see him almost all the time and uh, and talk to him about uh, once a week. Just ran into his brother, uh, Bishop Kenny, uh, made the uh, regional tournament here uh, in Florida. And uh, David, who's Pat's uh, brother, is still uh, – the pitching coach out at uh, of Bishop Kenny, and uh, he was my pitching coach when I went as well. We're talking to Travis Chapman, former Bulldog, 1997 to 2000. Travis, one of the things I remember about you playing is you played just about every position in the infield. You played one year at second base. You played some shortstop. You played some third. And now with the Yankees and being in minor league coaching, how does that help you of knowing – you know, the different steps and the different angles you have to take at every infield position. How did playing those positions help you today? Well, experiences shape us all. And, uh, you know, my, my time at Mississippi State was awesome. And, uh, you know, getting to come in as a freshman and start playing a couple weeks into the season at second base was uh, was really an honor and a privilege. And then uh, playing some shortstop my uh, sophomore and junior year and then bouncing over to third base when we got uh, Matthew Maniscalco in. It's all helpful, and they they all shape you as a, as a person, and also as an infielder. And uh, if different people's experiences can uh, go a long way when uh, when you're doing what I'm doing, and that's you know coaching a bunch of guys to learn basically how to play play the game of baseball, and hopefully help our big league team win a world championship. You know, you were here during that time that we had the transition from the old regionals to the new regional style. Charlie and I talk about it all the time about growing up and coming to these six-team regionals that started on Thursday. Sometimes they went all the way to Monday and just how great they were. You played in a six-team regional in 97 and 98. Of course, here in 97 at College Station in 98, we went to the College World Series those two years. Played the four-team regional in 99. That was at Ohio State. And then you come back here in 2000 and play in the uh, Startwell Regional, four-team regional. How tough was it? Just the contrast of playing in a four-team regional versus a six-team regional. I know at the time when you're you know, 18, 19 years old, you could probably play all day long. But what was the major differences that you really remember and how you had to prepare for a four-team regional versus six? Well, the six-game regional seemed to, uh, to go on. Uh, you seemed to be – all the teams seemed to be running out of pitching, uh, typically by that Sunday or maybe even that Monday. Uh, but as a position player, uh, you just you just go hydrate. Uh, you're young. You're you're 18 to 22 years old, and uh, especially hosting it at Mississippi State, it's it's one of the best times of your lives. You know, I'll never forget. You know, you mentioned names in, in Magruder and Stanley. You know, that Washington team in '97 was really a, an outstanding team, and uh, you know, I also remember Stanley out there in center field, and uh, you know, those are some pretty good games. You know, Bart and I talk all the time about regional memories and you just happen to have been here in a period of a lot of them for us obviously 97 rusty toms was hot at the plate eric debose gives the two complete games chris mcgruder was so 
hot at the plate. That's a great memory. 98, you guys go out to Texas A&M and battle back, and we talk about the job by Reinecke. 2000 with Notre Dame here and all the things that went on there. You had that huge home run in that ball game to give us the lead. What's your big memory? As you look back on your career, what jumps out at you as saying, man, that was the best? Well, there's there's a bunch of them, and, and you've hit on some of the highlights. Yeah, that 97, you know, experiencing it as a freshman and, and watching Eric DeBose put our team on his back and, and just carry him and just kind of will us to the victory against a, an outstanding Washington team. Uh, that's certainly a highlight. And then, um, you know, going out to College Station, you know, and, and I don't know if many people remember, but we were the first team to make it in to a regional with a uh, 14 and 15 record in the uh, in the SEC. And so, you know, we weren't sure if we were even going. We had the department all packed up and weren't sure. And then we got that invite out there and, you know, seeing Ryan Roop and Casey Fossum out there with the Texas A&M team that was, was really good. And then the next year at Ohio State was didn't go as the way we'd hoped. But I don't know, being the leader of a, the 2000 team and, and being a group of seniors and Kevin and Darren Wright and uh, Ty Martin and those guys, it, it was uh, – it was really cool, and Ryan McGrath out there as catcher, and uh, we still joke around about it to this day. Darren Wright, the all-time greatest player at the fake bunt slash, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think he had a uh, a bet with somebody on our team that if he'd ever swing at a first pitch and hit a home run, he'd get a uh, free PlayStation or something. <laughs> but uh, he hand out some abs. <laughs> Travis, here during the transition from Ron Polk to Pat McMahon, and it's no secret, I mean, you guys struggled a lot early in that 1998 season and really kind of got everything going late in the year. What was the difference in playing for Ron Polk versus playing for Pat McMahon? Well, they're both uh, two absolute legends and uh, and great coaches. You know, Polky was Polky was a guy that would uh, – you know, really just go out there and teach you the game and, and let you go play, whereas Mac was a, a very detail-oriented person. And, you know, quite frankly, I, I don't know if we make it into that 98 regional without Mac and his details and taking care of, uh, you know, the games we're more supposed to win. You know, both loving, caring people and uh, very thankful that I had the opportunity to play for both of them and, uh, and still keep in touch with them and calling friends today. Travis, we've got Notre Dame coming back in this weekend. Will we be able to sneak a peek at the TV and keep up with the Bulldogs at all? Oh, you better believe it. I was even trying to uh, find a way to get out there for the game, but uh, going to be running out to Hudson Valley. I wanted to bring my son out there. Um, have not been out back out in uh, in almost ten years, and uh, I, I need to get back out there. Just need to find the opportunity to do it. And, uh, this wasn't a great opportunity, but you know go up and uh, and help these guys. Uh, we just had a prospect promoted up to Hudson, so uh, get to go work with him, and, and we'll have to miss this one, but I look forward to the time getting back out there. Travis, before we let you go, we're talking to Travis Chapman, former Bulldog. You don't know this, but in 2000, we're in the, uh, we're in the Clemson Super Regional after knocking off Notre Dame, and you almost caused me to get kicked out of the press box for the first time. I was a 23-year-old guy working with Jim Ellis, had just started, and your last collegiate at bat. And I think I'm right on this. You were tied with Richard Lee as the all-time hits leader at Mississippi State, and you come up in your last at bat, and you hit a screaming shot down the third base line. Third baseman gets up, 
can't field it cleanly, whatever. They give the guy the error instead of the hit. And you would have been the all-time hits leader at the time at Mississippi State. And I walked over to the official score in the press box and said, I want you to go down there and make that play. To which Joe Deere looked at me, the sports information director, and says, Bart, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Does that kind of play out? I'm about 95% sure that's kind of how that happened. Yeah, it was it was something like that. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I don't I don't remember the play all that much. Um, I remember being told after the fact, because uh, I wasn't keeping up with the uh, – with the all-time hits record or anything, I remember hearing that uh, I either would have been tied or, or taken the lead in that. But, uh, you know, records are made to be broken. And, uh, yeah, I know we've had quite a few other players come in, Jeffrey Ray and some other guys that uh, have, have, have done far better than that. And, and it's good to see. It's been great to see all the successes of, uh, of players coming through Mississippi State. And uh, it's seeing them in pro ball, too. So it's been a, it's been a nice time. Well, Travis, appreciate you taking the time. You gave us a lot of good memories here at Mississippi State. We still talk about you all the time. And now, of course, working Bart for the most decorated team in the history of professional sports, the greatest franchise of sports, the New York Yankees. I get some eye rolls out of Bart every time I start that. But uh, (laughs) uh, keep them going. We need some help up there. Yeah, we appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys taking the time and – Certainly go Bulldogs, and uh, we'll be watching you guys this weekend. And that's Travis Chapman. Played at Mississippi State 1997 to year 2000. Played second base, shortstop, third base. He was a good one. And always great to talk with Travis Chapman. And this conversation, once again, brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland Catfish producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can find. And once again, go by the Crystal Grill in Greenwood, They do it right. Everything they make at the Crystal Grill is absolutely phenomenal. And so go by and get that U.S. farm-raised catfish from the Crystal Grill in Greenwood, Mississippi. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Mark Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. We've had some fun this week talking about that 2000 regional in Startville. I had just started work with Jim Ellis at the time and just out of college working with sales with host communications. And that was my first real taste of postseason baseball working here at Mississippi State. And man, just looking back, we had Tulane in here. They were the two seed. Tulane was a two seed. Jake Gotro. Andy Canazero. They were the two seed. Notre Dame was the three. South Alabama was the four seed. That was the first time we ever hosted a four-team regional. And I believe I remember thinking back of everyone didn't know that we, nobody knew what to do because we were used to the six-team regionals. And it was almost like, okay, this this was really not a whole lot to it. It's just four teams. Yeah, it was a letdown, wasn't it? You it was were completely used to that letdown. big, long series. That 2000 regional, though, memorable in so many ways. And one of the guys that we were able to talk to this week, and if you have a chance, go back, check out our podcast, but we've uploaded the full interviews with a couple of guys. One of them is the guy who was the Notre Dame catcher, and he's the guy that I remember. Paul O'Toole. Paul O'Toole, because <laughs> early in that series, there was kind of a little dust up at home plate, and it was interesting because everybody kind of in the crowd viewed O'Toole as the bad guy. He was the villain. And you wonder, when you talk to that guy, what does he think about it? 
And it was interesting to hear two things about Paul O'Toole. Number one, and he was compared by Steve Stanley to kind of the hockey enforcer. Yeah. And I thought that was a perfect description because he did two things. Number one, he said, sure, yeah, I'm the villain. I, I, I understand that. But then, you know, we heard Stanley say basically that O'Toole was kind of blocking the plate unnecessarily. Yeah. And when O'Toole <laughs> tells it, oh, no, man, that was just a throw out of the way. So there's a little clip from Paul O'Toole. Let's listen to what he had to say about that play at the plate and about being the villain. That is absolutely fair. I, I think, and it may be cliche, but I, I think I, I relish that underdog role. Maybe that's being the youngest of four boys. I don't know what it is, but I always needed that edge. And when that collision happened, and l- let me pause here, Charlie. So <laughs> uh, I've also read some things around the collision, like I was trying to block the plate. I mean, I saw the size of Philip Willingham. There's no, I'm, I'm smart enough to, to know not to block the plate. Our shortstop hung me out to dry with his, his throw up the third baseline. So I was going for the ball and we just happened to collide. And, you know, in the heat of the collision, it's a little shoving back and forth. But we shook hands almost immediately and we were good. I thought the umpires actually handled it really well. Well, that's I wasn't trying to block. The, was, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't trying to block the plate. I'm too smart for that. Like, yeah, he was a big dude. So I, I wonder how much, and, and thinking back about how the crowd reacted, because yeah, man, it got loud and he got booed. I wonder how much of it was because so many people love Philip Willingham. Philip Willingham just came across as the he was kind of like always smiling and like. Everybody liked Philip Willingham. They just liked Philip Willingham. And then you got a guy who's willing to get in his face at home plate. And then it was, man, the crowd just, I'm talking, it turned in a heartbeat on that guy. Well, let's face it, too. We are in a part of the country where it's easy to not like Notre Dame. And so you bring all that together and you've got something. I thought it was interesting. One last comment from O'Toole. Even though all that went on, he talked about how much he enjoyed the experience here. It's definitely one of the highlights of my playing career. My parents still talk about the entire weekend, the entire experience, and it was just great to be part of that weekend for sure. Well, he comes across as a different guy than a lot of people thought. And, hey, at the end of the day, if if you had that same conversation with some of these guys that we've been around, like a Kendall Graveman, I mean, they're different guys when they get between the lines than they are every day in life. Hey, I, I like guys. I like guys that throw it out there and, and play the game hard. I love that. I, I like that. Absolutely. And the thing I love about O'Toole, though, was that was a guy who fed off of it. We've talked about some other guys. There aren't many people who come in to a hostile stadium and just embrace it and own it and make themselves better. Magruder, in a different way, did it. He wasn't the villain the same way, but he he accepted all that noise and all that energy and made himself better. He didn't back down from it. O'Toole was that guy as well. Now, if you want to go a complete 360, you had Steve Stanley, the center fielder, who wasn't a very big guy, who played the game hard as well, and he almost became like a crowd favorite. Yeah, absolutely. And what I loved about Stanley was talking about wanting to play in the South and his expectations. Coming down there was a huge dream of mine, and to be able to play there was a, was a great opportunity. So when we, when we got down there, my expectation was going to be that it was a great environment, and then it, it just exceeded every expectation that I had. And then Steve goes on, and obviously Mississippi State wins that final ball game. They, they get the walk-off home run from Ty Martin, and Steve Stanley's the guy who's in your picture. 
when that ball is clearing the fence, Steve Stanley is the guy running into the wall, thinking he may have a play and going after it. And it was interesting to hear his take and how what you perceive as one of the lowest moments of a guy's career, he talks about being something that really deepened his love for the entire game of baseball. That was a moment that I will never forget in my baseball career and one that really solidified my love for the game uh, even more as I progressed on. And and the reason for that was even though I was so upset that Ty had hit that ball and we ended up losing the game, what a great what a I mean what a great swing. He hits it over the I remember going back on that ball and thinking I had a chance. And literally I ran into the wall if you if you see the play like I, I wouldn't even expect I you know, you don't feel the warning track at that point. You're just trying to make a play and he just ran out of room and, and he, you know, just obviously took such a great swing and, and wins the game for him. And so I immediately hit the ground, you know, to start crying because it was such it was such an emotional tournament that, you know, you just you leave it all out there. And I I might have been on the ground for maybe I don't know, it felt like it felt like ages, but maybe thirty seconds to a minute and there were two Mississippi State fans who both they on my left and right both picked me up and said something along the lines of you got nothing to worry about what an amazing tournament great job and walked me all the way back into the infield i mean that's the type of people that that are there in Starkville and so you know as as a player even though i don't remember the exact words because i was so caught up in the moment boy, do I remember the way that made me feel, you know, and you, you just, you take that away, that experience away. And I thought to myself, man, how cool is that? A, a moment that ought to be rock bottom for a guy. He's talking about being one of the great experiences of his career. And that doesn't happen anywhere else. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And Hey man, that, that was great. That was great to hear from those guys. It was great to hear from Chris Magruder last week to talk about the, 97 regional along with Ken Knutes and the head coach at Washington. And so we've heard from the Notre Dame guys. We can't leave without hearing from the guy who won it. And I heard a story I'd never heard before. Oh, me too. Having man, man. I heard a story from Ty Martin that I've never heard before. And here's Ty Martin talking about that final home run. I saw they put their closer in. And so my, my first thought was, I kind of forgot about everything that just happened, and I was just locked in trying to watch the um, closer, you know, fastball, velocity, you know, the timing. I was trying to time him up, and I was locked in. You know, he had a few more more pitches to go, and I was facing the pitcher, quarter of my eye. I could see, man, this time he walked up and actually came right up to me, you know, and instead of giving me a scouting report, he just kind of tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, Ty wants you one out of here. And and I didn't, and all he he just said that and walked off. And I, I remember it to this day. My first response was, our feeling was a total calmness or relaxation, you know, because we were all kind of jacked up or you know almost too fired up at the time, you know, because like, oh no, you know, we, we can't let this slip away. Now we got to we got to kick it back and come back right here. And it was just a total relaxation. And then so I remember stepping in the box. I was hunting fastballs. You know, that was the first thing. So closure the best pitch and. Fortunately, I feel it was intense for us as it was for the opponent. The two balls, I think he overthrew two fastballs. They were up and away and up and away. And uh, so I was in a good hitting situation. That was, you know, I had a lot of things going for me. You know, I set that up, and sure enough, I, you know, I was looking out over the plate. And got lucky. And I tell you, with a center fielder, I knew I hit it well, but the way 
Stanley was gearing up or he was charging after that ball that the the route he took, I I started to bust it, you know, around the bases. I took my eye off the ball. So when the ball cleared the stance, I actually didn't know what happened. All the fans were celebrating because so I'd assumed the way the center field was tracking after it. I thought, it's off the wall. I got I got to think two or three, you know, getting in scoring position. <laughs> Wrecked. That was the love of the game where the guy walks up to the guy at the very end and says, wreck it. Pat, Pat walks up and says, hey, just, just hit it out of just here. Just hit it out of here. Just go ahead and get it out of here. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's go get home. this thing over. I don't want to be here all night. <laughs> wow, what a moment. And still one of the great post games that I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. I mean, people jumping over. And it's like you know Chambliss hitting the home run in the late 70s for the Yankees, winning the AL pennant. And I hate to give you credit with the Yankees. But, I mean, that's kind of what it was. And Paul Maneri kind of referenced that moment later on. But, hey, that was all in all, man, great memories of that regional in 2000, one that really sticks out in your mind about just how special it was, not only for our players, not only for Ty Martin and Travis Chapman and some of those other guys, but it was what a great weekend it was for the guys from South Bend as well. Yeah, it will go down as one of our great memories. And, boy, Travis Chapman, he was kind of right there in the middle of a lot of big memories. We talked to Magruder last week from 97. We've talked so much about that 98 trip, 2000. That's a guy who, look, he played some big-time baseball for Mississippi State. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. That was a lot of fun. So, hey, you kind of wonder what this weekend holds. Mississippi State and Notre Dame, three-game series. And so that was a great look back at Bulldog history. And that uh, conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, made right here in the state of Mississippi. Something you can be proud of. Man, they make it great right down in Florence on Highway 49. They've got the storefront there at Country Meat Packers. Anything you could possibly need for the backyard, the grill, the tailgate, the lounge spots. They've got anything you can possibly want to put on the grill, and it's just great stuff. They have their own seasonings as well. And so go by and check out the Country Meat Packers and, of course, that staple, that country-pleasing sausage. I was talking to Henry just the other day. He came up to the ballpark the other night, and uh, that black pepper and cheddar, man, it's it's really selling. Everything's selling hot right now. Everything is doing well. Did you well. see the alligator picture I sent you? You sent me the alligator picture last night. I have not tried the alligator yet. I have some alligator at the house and have not put it on the grill yet. But I've had I've heard good things about it. But, man, or just the old original. It's good stuff. But Country Pleasing Sausage bringing you this look-back segment in Bulldog history. Charlie and I will come back with a final word. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We've talked a lot about that 2000 regional this week. We talked to Travis Chapman just earlier. We heard the clips and talked about it last week in the last segment. In our look back segment, brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And so, Charlie, now let's talk about Mississippi State and Notre Dame. And we talked earlier about the schedule of Notre Dame coming in, and you know, you really didn't know what to think when you look at their lineup. You know, Ryan Cole batting 326. But the the guy that I think of when I think of Notre Dame and seeing how they play this year, Nico Cavadas. I went back and watched those three games they played last weekend. Cavadas had five home runs on the weekend last weekend. He's got 21 home runs on the season. And what I wanted to see is seeing the number of home runs to see his approach at the plate. 
he's not like Samford. He's not like VCU and Campbell. He doesn't have that high leg kick, and I'm just going to try to yank everything out of the yard. That's a guy's got power to all fields. It's it's not a situation of you can just try to go away, away, away from that guy because he is showing pop and he is seeing the ball exceptionally well right now. And you talk about seeing the ball. He has 47 walks on the season. The next closest guy for Notre Dame has 21. So some of those are a situation where you pitch around him a little bit. But that's a guy who's up there seeing the baseball. Now he strikes out a good bit. He struck out 50 times. But he's walked 47. And if you want to look at those numbers, your walks are in line with your strikeouts and you're hitting 21 out of the yard, hitting 309. Wait, you'd take that in your lineup, wouldn't you? Absolutely. But so looking at, at Notre Dame from a pitching standpoint, you know, Cole Hep has been really good out of the bullpen. They've got some guys that they've used as you know, bullpen guys and starters. You know, Mercer has been really good. The ERAs are, are, are pretty solid for Notre Dame this season. you got a team ERA of 3.8. You know, going back offensively, this is a team batting 281. And so the numbers just don't reach out and just jump at you. Three guys batting over 300 in the lineup. It just looks like a solid baseball team. That's what they look like to me. It's, it's nothing that jumps out at you. This just looks like a solid team with quality starters, a lineup that's good. They've got some pop in there when you need it, and they've got some guys on the back end of that bullpen. They just look like just a solid team. But it's super regional time. Everybody's good this time of year. The guy that I'm interested to see throw is the left-hander, Bertrand. 8-2 and two record on the season. He's got an ERA under three. He's all of his appearances have been starts, so he's not a swing guy. He is a starter, but here's the other thing about him. He's a grad student, and remember Steve Stanley talking about guys from the South? You know, Stanley, you could tell talking with Steve Stanley earlier this week, he really likes a Southern baseball player. Bertrand's from Alpharetta, Georgia. How many guys come out of there, by the way? <laughs> and so he's a guy, he actually, he's been around. He's played. He understands the game of baseball, and – by the way, he pitched at Furman. How many guys have come out of there? And so Bertrand, a guy who was – he's a grad student, and he has been really good for them. If you're looking for anything – and I know here's the thing. When you start looking at baseball stats, you start looking at how teams have played, you start looking for any kind of edge. And sometimes you chase down rabbit holes. Sometimes they matter. Sometimes they don't. Here's the one thing that I looked at, Charlie. This is a team that fields at 984 that led the nation – in fielding percentage, they field it well. They do not make mistakes in the field. But then I got to looking at the schedule, and they played their first three league series on the road. They played at Clemson and at Virginia very early in the season. Both of those places have natural grass and natural skinned areas on the infield. But that was back early in the season. They haven't played on natural grass they haven't played on a natural infield surface in a long, long time. Now, they played in Charlotte for the conference championship, the conference tournament. They did not last long in the conference tournament over there. But when you look at a team that fields it this well, I always thought it was harder for a team that plays all of its games on artificial turf going to natural surface than it is for a natural surface team to go to artificial turf. Am I reading too much into that? I don't think so. Here's what's interesting, though, because – I've always discounted fielding percentage at some level because I have seen, how shall we say this, a lot of communication between coaches and official scorers 
on what's going to be a hit and what's going to be an error. And we've seen just some atrocious official scoring, too, yes. everywhere. In fact, you, you were able to remind us one about Travis Chapman. That was a great story, Oh, my by goodness. The way. Yeah. Uh, so you've got a guy for Notre Dame, shortstops, committed six errors all season. Think about that. You start 44 games at shortstop, and you commit only six errors. I don't really care whether you're on turf, whether you're on asphalt, whether you're playing hot, cold, day, night, rain, good score, bad score. When the worst guy on your team has seven, or excuse me, six errors all season long, you're fielding it pretty good. Okay, I go back to the point of last weekend, and we brought this up. This time of year in the month of June. Now, it's it's been raining all week. I mean, it's still raining. And so it's not going to be as bad, but you kind of ask yourself the question, if the sun comes out and it starts kind of baking, that infield last weekend played hard. It played extremely hard. Some crazy hops. It had some crazy hops. And so if this game was played, and that's the thing about playing at Clemson early in the year or playing at Virginia early in the year, it's a little bit softer on the infield. You just kind of wonder if that sun comes out tomorrow and then all day on Saturday, if that infield can bake a little bit and get a little bit harder, it's something that's that's hard to replicate, to be honest with you. So that's one of the things that, that I look at as well. Okay, so for us, if you're Mississippi State right here, and we, we go back to playing in series. We talk about us being 7-3 and three in our conference series. You think about Notre Dame 10-1-1 in their conference series. What do you have to do? And we've talked so long and arduous about the fine line all season long. What's gotten – what's cropped up and bitten us a few times in situations like this? What got us against Missouri? What got you against Arkansas? It's making mistakes that open the door because this time of year – if you make mistakes, they're going to be exploited. And so this is a weekend right here, and we talk about Notre Dame defensively. This is a weekend right here where you can ill afford to make mistakes. Are you familiar, Bart, with the term Pyrrhic victory? Give me time to Google, I'll tell you. <laughs> so a Pyrrhic victory goes back to ancient times, but the gist of it is this. A Pyrrhic victory is one that takes such a devastating toll on the winner that it might as well have been a loss. If we come out in the ball game on Friday and we have to spend our bullets and we have to run through Brandon Smith and Preston Johnson and Landon Sims to close out a game such that we have to really rely on those guys to go long, like we've seen at times before, and you limit their ability to help you in games two and three, it can make that first victory hollow. I think the key to this is we have to view this weekend as a series not as one game. Winning that first game is important, but you it can't cost you too much. See, therein lies the problem. Is you, you know you're smarter than I am. You you, know, you use words that I don't use. And so uh, that's, that's one of the things. It kind of has created a complex with me. I agree with that point wholeheartedly, that you can ill afford to let Saturday cost you Monday or Saturday cost you on Sunday. So – so, so I think so I think it's imp- so I think it's imperative that you get good starts. That's the first thing you got to do. But two, after last weekend, we extended these guys a little bit longer. So then all of a sudden you ask yourself the question: This is the first time you you've gotten extended. So what's the bounce back like for Bednar? What's the bounce back like for Landon Sims, who hasn't thrown that many pitches in a while? You would hope. I hope these guys are they're freshening up. Have they been doing that over the last month and a half? Then you really have some worries. But 
they look like fresh guys out there. The mistake that people make when we talk about pitching so often is they say this is the time of year you just have to get tough. You just have to get tough and throw. But when muscles fail, when you hit muscle failure, it's not a question about being tough. Your muscles are either going to work right or they're not. The case in point is tell a guy just get tough and do 200 push-ups right now. Well, somewhere for all of us, that number is going to cut off. For me, quicker than most, I'm afraid. But where it doesn't matter how tough I am, I'm not pushing myself back up off the floor, and it's the same thing with pitching. It's not a matter of saying I'm pitching through pain. It goes back to being able to do the finer things, like find your release point, find your command. All those things become more difficult when you don't have that feel. So we don't know. It's going to be a little bit of uncharted waters for us, but I believe looking at the way that Chris Lamonis and Scott Foxhall have managed this roster this year and managed that pitching staff, we're seeing a team that is building to be able to do this, not one that had to do something in a panic. This is not a case where somebody had to go to the bullpen and bring somebody in who didn't need to be out there and force them to overthrow, and now they've got to turn around. This is a situation where guys increased what they had been doing 15%. And so now the question is, can you build with that? I think you can. I go back to this part, though. When you break down this weekend, we could talk about Notre Dame. We could talk about the power hitter. and We could talk about the pitching. You know what your issue is, ultimately? This is about us. Yeah, it is. And I was about to say that. You, you're about to say uh, the same thing. If Will Bednar can go out there and have success with that slider against a, a team that's loaded with a lot of right-handed hitters, if Brad Cumbest can hit the left-hander, if we can hit the left-handed spin. If we I, get a ball off the plate from the umpire. With a, yeah, I mean, with I want Bednar. that. But here's the thing that's different about baseball, and, and we go back to the point, and I go back to last weekend of sitting in the outfield, and I, I don't mean this in any arrogant way whatsoever. It still amazes me at the number of people that love the game of baseball that don't understand the game of baseball. And I don't I'm, I hate to say it like that, but there's a lot of people that don't understand the game of baseball. We can sit here and look at the Notre Dame stats all day long. We can look at our stats all day long. We can look at fielding percentage and we could talk about artificial turf and things of that nature. But when you get to this time of year, when the lights come on on Saturday night or Sunday night or whatever and it's game 2, there's just so much, so many unknowns. That guy who's batting a buck fifteen could get you the biggest base hit in the world, and that's what makes this game so great. Is because you may know what you're thinking about, you may look at some trends, but for nine innings, sometimes trends don't matter. And whatever happens this weekend, and no matter who you listen to to tell you, hey, this is what I expect to happen. This is what I expect to happen. Let me tell you this: I've been around this game my entire life. I watched a lot of baseball this year. I played a lot of baseball. Charlie, you've been around baseball a lot. But here's the thing about this weekend at the end of the day. Anything can happen, and nothing will surprise me. We could win two out of three, or we could win two quickly. We could lose two quickly. And that's just the bottom line. I mean, you just don't know what to expect. And sometimes it turns on very funny things. It turns on a ball that kicks to the right you know, coming off the lip that you wouldn't see on artificial turf. You just don't know. Do you wish it was going to be hotter? I wish it was going to be smoking hot. I don't think you're – well, in baseball, I don't know if it matters as much except for a pitcher. I think that's where it gets a guy. It'll be interesting to see Saturday at 1 o'clock 
about how the Notre Dame pitcher will handle that because what happens in those situations is this. It's not about the duration. It's not about getting the pitch count to 90-95. It's if you can run up things in a hurry, if you can get a guy to throw 25 in an inning, if you get to the fourth inning and if you can extend a guy in that inning, it's not about the overall tiredness. It's about that quick action that gets you on hot days. And you can get to a guy, he may have thrown, you know, he may be 40 pitches through three innings, and he looks like he's cruising. And then all of a sudden you come out and you run him to 30 in the fourth inning, he's done. Yep. He's, he's toast completely because it's so quick. And that's the thing that jumps out at you, and it can happen to you too. And so that's why, I mean, it's it's all about consistency. And that's where that leadoff walk, that's where that error, that's where it becomes big. I don't know if they've announced it yet. You expect Bednar on Saturday, game one, pitching would, during the day. I would expect that. Why not? I mean, yeah. he's got much more experience pitching during the day this year. He does. And McLeod is a different guy at night. I think he is. I mean, that's where he pitched all season long. That's what I would do. And I don't know what they're going to do, but that's what I would do. I would go Bednar, then, then McLeod, and then – uh. <laughs> I don't even want to say anything out loud, you know. And, and people are sitting there saying, man, hey, Harding, he solidified that third spot. I don't think so. I don't think he has I either. Start him. Nope. I, I would say that right now. Nope. I would not Somebody's either. Somebody's going to get me three batters. Or one Somebody's batter. going to give me four, but he's not. He is going to get up after the first hitter and start warming. Yes, he will. It will be the same exact situation as Chad Gerardo and Ross Mitchell. If he you will. don't use him, do you put Brandon Smith out there? Think about it. You're going to be facing some right-handers. You've got a right-hander who's pretty good working away, keeping it down. That's the whole thing is keeping it down. He's got to get run down. He was squared up a little bit, but he pitched pretty good last week. And so I, I give Brandon credit. He, he he did a pretty good job in relief last week. Real good bounce back performance. Just got to have somebody throw strikes for a couple of hitters. Got to throw strikes. This is not the weekend to nibble. This is not the weekend to fall behind guys. If you walk guys or you hit guys, you put free guys on base, and then that's all you lose. That's how you lose. It's you, the difference last weekend. You talked about this. We gave up a bunch of solo shots. Those don't kill you. It's the three and four run home runs. It's the crooked numbers. Hey, looking forward to it. We'll have our post-game rap shows. Those have been very widely received and wildly received as well. I mean, it's been a lot of fun to do those post-game rap shows, and so we'll have those this weekend for you as well. And so, hey, guys, we appreciate it. Go back and listen to those interviews with Paul O'Toole and Steve Stanley. Now, Chris Magruder last week in that 97 regional. If you want to go back and look at those, that was last week as well. So we've been having a lot of fun here late in the season. Well, stayed in Notre Dame this weekend. The Super Regionals at Duty Noble should be a lot of fun. You guys hydrate well on Saturday and uh, you know, make sure that it's, it's a good hydration at times. And so, For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.